Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So to kick this one off, we're going to revisit last episode where we talked about some news articles featuring tarantulas, and we talked about this new species of tarantula being discovered by a YouTuber. Well, apparently the information was completely wrong. I should have looked more into this, but I'm not on German tarantula groups and whatnot. And apparently it heated up very quickly on the German groups because the species that the new species that they're talking about, Taxinus bambus, Taxinus bambus, I believe it is, is not a newly discovered species. It's a newly described species. So what that means is the species has already been discovered and apparently has been in the hobby for about eight years, it was discovered by German hobbyists, so somebody went into the woods, went, ooh, this spider looks cool, smuggled a bunch of them out, and they were bred and produced, and they were in the hobby. So the hobby name for this species was Ornitoctonae species Mai Hong Son. So this is where it gets interesting, because the species was already, we, the whole time I was joking in the last podcast that people were going to come up, we always joke the Germans always joke that they're the ones usually go up and get them. I have a buddy of mine, Rudy Gall, who's German, who we joke about this all the time, that a new species is discovered. They go up there, they get them. Next thing you know it, they're in the hobby. Well, we don't have to worry about that happening because it happened eight years before this species was described. So who knows where it'll go from here. Very, it, it did get me thinking, though, because a lot of times in the hobby, we buy these animals that are labeled species. And I honestly never stop to consider sometimes that when there is that species label, it means that this species has never been described by scientists. Nobody has done, you know, a taxonomic study of them. It just means that somebody found the spider in the wild, went, ooh, we haven't seen these before, pulled it out, assigned it a name, and then it made its way into the hobby. Obviously not in all cases, but in these cases, you know, many cases, this is what happens. And so then you get a situation like this where somebody goes out, actually turns, you know, identifies a spider, contacts a scientist or somebody that is responsible for taxonomy. They study the spider and then they write a paper and they identify it. Interesting to think about. So anyway, I wanted to make that correction. I found this out. It was funny because I put the podcast out and it wasn't just a Several people contacted me. Rudy was one of them. Martin Husser from Bird Spiders CH. Awesome channel. Martin's a man. He actually goes out and knows an incredible amount about these animals and the taxonomy of them and then actually goes out in the field and checks them out. So if you haven't checked out his channel, it's one of my favorites because it's one of those, it's not so much a YouTube entertainment channel. There is some scientific meat behind it, which is awesome. But Martin contacted me via Facebook Messenger and said he was listening to the podcast, which I thought was awesome that Martin even listens to the podcast and made this correction. And then several other people, all from Germany, as a matter of fact, contacted me to say, hey, heads up, there's been a lot of talk about this one on the German boards, and it's thought to be this species. So want to make that correction. Obviously, it makes for a great news story. You know, YouTuber goes out there, finds brand new spider. And honestly, who would know if the species, you know, if the YouTuber wasn't into the hobby and didn't know that there was a species like this in the hobby that had already been, you know, quote unquote, discovered, just hadn't been described. You know, I could see where the misinformation comes from, but I wanted to make sure I made that correction. Sounds like the other two articles are okay. We're on point with those, but it, it's one of those deals where I hate putting anything out that's wrong. I mean, I pride myself on having good information out there. So as soon as I started getting these back, I almost did a midweek quick up update podcast on but I'm like all right everybody can wait a little bit to get it it, somebody I believe responded on the Facebook page as well about it so the information's out there but 
consider this the official correction of it. So, oh, well, kind of cool, though, this has been described. Interesting, you know, I was reading about the species after they told me about the ornithoctonized species, Mei Hong Sun, started looking up pictures of those. A very interesting spider, cool spider, and and again, one that's been in the hobby for almost a decade. So, funny how this thing works. So, today's topic, we're going to kind of do a fun one today. I was thinking about this one, and I was trying to think of how to go about it, and we did a podcast, Luis Roque and I did a podcast a little while back, how to be an informed hobbyist, a knowledgeable, well-rounded hobbyist, and some of the pitfalls of folks that get into the hobby and don't get full-blown into it. And what I started to think about the other day is I get a lot of emails that are very similar. And again, this is not a judgmental thing. I always want to make that clear because what ends up happening is I will discuss like an email I got and there'll been 20 different people that emailed me the exact same type of thing and they all think I'm talking specifically about them. And it's never that. It's one of those things where I get a lot of comments, I get a lot of emails and I start to realize trends and whatnot. And obviously a lot of folks that do contact me are brand new into the hobby and they don't have all that background information yet. And I'm totally okay with that. But we do get, I do get contact sometimes by folks who have been in the hobby for a little while, ones that for lack of a better term, don't really have the excuse of being new to the hobby. And I started thinking about this, you know, the types of hobbyists out there. I like to think that the majority of folks that are listening to the podcast, if you're going to listen to some dude drone on about tarantulas for, you know, 40 minutes to an hour every week, you've got to be pretty into the hobby. You've got to, I mean, some of my topics can be very, very dry to folks who don't understand tarantulas. One of my students actually found out I had a podcast and tried to listen to it. And he was so nice about it. He was like, yeah, mister, I found your podcast. I listened to it. I don't want to be mean. It was kind of boring, but I didn't know what you were talking about. And that's, I get that because I could see new hobbyists getting in and going, how either listening to me talking, going, what is this guy talking about? How this is overwhelming. I didn't realize it was this much information or this much to keeping tarantulas. Or on the other hand, going, I don't need to hear this stuff. I got my care sheet right here. I got my little 10-gallon tank. I'm ready to roll. So I gave a lot of thought to what are some of the signs and things that, you know, when I'm working with folks or working with folks or teaching folks or somebody contacts me and asks for help and I am kind of, you know, tutoring them, so to speak, through the entering the hobby and some issues they have, there are some telltale signs of folks that are kind of, we'll call it signs of an uninformed hobbyist, or I kind of call them like the weekend hobbyist, for lack of a better term. I always joke, you know, it's a weekend hobbyist. It's somebody that probably has a million different things, has had a million different pets they've kept over the years. They get into the hobby for a little bit. They're in it for three or four years. They buy a bunch of spiders. They get bored of it, and they move off. And they never get beyond that initial stage that some people go through where they hop in, they go, I'm going to buy a tarantula. They pick up a tarantula, and then they realize oh crud, I'm not ready for this, I need to do research. And then they become more informed and they get out there and they find Facebook groups and they find websites and they find YouTube and they whatever it may be, they find sources to get their information from, they assimilate this information, they apply this information, they start to transcend that noob level, if so to speak, and become informed hobbyists where it's no longer just, hey, I just need something quick to know how to keep this spider. It's they're reading constantly about different tarantulas, different ways of keeping them, where they're coming from in the wild, the whole shebang. But there are folks that get stunted. There are folks that come in and these are the ones that, you know, last week it was sugar gliders. The week before that they were doing... Uh, mantises, they had snakes, they had lizards, maybe they have all these at the same time, they're just branching out and they're not really 
digging deep into the hobby. They're not, they're just scratching the surface as far as care. And sometimes this is where it can be frustrating for me because you assume somebody is a quote unquote noob. I hate that term because it sounds derogatory, but somebody that's just brand new green in the hobby and they ask a strange question and you go, oh, they just don't know anybody and you explain it. But there are those folks out there that they will start off with, hey, just to let you know, I've been keeping tarantulas now for five years. And then they hit you with something that it's like, okay, if you've been keeping tarantulas for five years and you're asking me this question, there's some type of disconnect. There's some, we're not learning the way we should. We're not learning as much as we should for somebody that has that much experience. So I figured it'd be fun today to kind of go through some of the signs of an uninformed or we'll call them weekend hobbyists. You guys have probably encountered many of these when you're on forums, when you're on Facebook groups, Reddit, whatever it may be. These are the folks that they come on, you immediately think, oh, this person's brand new in the hobby, and then they start arguing with you because they are they know more than you do because they've been in the hobby for a certain number of years. They just haven't seemed to get the memo that there is more to the hobby than just picking up your first care sheet or watching a YouTube video and learning the care for the species and setting it up. So signs of a weekend hobbyist, signs of an uninformed hobbyist. First sign that you find, and again, a lot of these kind of coincide with folks who are just getting into the hobby, but there are a lot of folks that continue to do this right on through the hobby. This is their MO. They're the ones that chronically and consistently buy spiders before doing any research whatsoever. Do it consistently. These are the ones that pop up on the groups, on the forums. Hey guys, I just picked up this. Tell me what you know about them because I didn't find any information. And these are the ones where if you go and Google it, you can immediately find a bunch of information about it. This is a big issue because I do think folks that just are getting into the hobby, I can see why this happens. I know some people think there is absolutely no argument for this ever happening. And I agree that in a perfect world, you would think that folks would do the research before picking up their animals that's just the way it's supposed to work. If I'm going to decide to get a new snake, I'm going to do all the research possible I can on this snake before I go out and actually purchase one, have everything set up. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Some people impulse buy. I mean, I think a lot of people probably end up in the tarantula hobby because they're at a show, probably a reptile show. There's somebody selling tarantulas that maybe doesn't know a whole heck of a lot about them. They go up and go, wow, this is really cool. You know what? I'm picking up a tarantula. And then they get it home and then they start doing the research. It happens. And I'm not, so this isn't something where I'm chastising folks that have done this before. I think everybody's done it before. I've had situations where Billy's gone and picked up spiders for me for my birthday or for Father's day or whatnot and they aren't ones that I have obviously done all the research on beforehand I'm fortunate in that I know immediately where to look for good info however folks that are new to the hobby they don't they hop online they find the first care sheet they go oh this has got to be right and they do it or some of them find themselves like on the Facebook groups and they post something and we've all seen them before and we all chastise them. But there are sadly, I've run into many folks that this isn't something, the exception to the rule. They do this constantly. They buy their spiders and they ask questions later. And it kind of drives me nuts. And I know it drives a lot of other people nuts because that shows a lack of uh, commitment to the well-being of the spider. That's just laziness at that point or just obstinance that you pick up an animal that you know nothing about and then try to do the research when it's already in your care. I love, I it drives me nuts sometimes because I'll get emails. Hey, Tom, I just ordered blank, 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 and blank. I have no idea what how to keep these guys. What do you got them? And in some cases, it's folks that are buying brand new and I want to make this clarification, brand new species that nobody knows very much about. We've all been there where a new species comes on, we're trying to figure out information, 
we've done our research and then I think what happens is they go, maybe Tom's kept these before and sometimes I have and sometimes I haven't. That's a little different. We're talking about the old, I'm just going to buy a bunch of spiders and then once they're in my possession or on their way, then I'm going to go out and scramble and try to find the info. Very, very big indicator of somebody that's not taking the hobby as seriously as many of us do. In many cases, a sign of an uninformed hobbyist, somebody that doesn't realize that that is not how you should go about it. You should always do your research first. And coupled with this, the other another indicator of somebody that, again, is kind of not as informed, not really into it, are the ones that go up and they tell you, hey, I found, I set this up, I don't know what's going on. And then they tell you, basically, they looked up the first care sheet they found and they ran with it. That's a big one. We get a lot of folks that will come up and sometimes they'll ask for links because the care sheets will be terribly, terribly wrong. And my thought at first is, all right, let's get this person the right information. My second thought is, oh my Lord, where did they find this stuff from? And the problem is a lot of folks have been, you know, led to believe that when animals are concerned, when the animal hobby is concerned, the best thing you can do is go out there, search for the animal, put in the words care sheet, and what pops up is going to be somebody that obviously did their work, knows these animals, knows what they're talking about. And unfortunately, as we've discussed before, that's often not the case. A lot of times with care sheets, you have improper information there about, you know, these high humidity levels, these max temperatures they have to have. The the animal has to be kept at 85% humidity and 85 to 90 degrees during the day. And then it ends up people that are, you know, keeping their tarantulas in these oversaturated enclosures with no ventilation, with heat when they don't need heat. It's just a nightmare. And a lot of folks don't know about that to begin with. I think folks that end up on message boards and on, you know, forums, tarantula, the tarantula forum, arachna boards, on Facebook groups, they get a quick, you know, quick, sometimes nasty lesson about why you don't use those type of things. But there are folks out there that will continue to use them, that they go on and go, well, somebody put this out there. They obviously know what they're talking about. And they don't realize how many people that make these types of care sheets have never kept these animals before. They've just gone on and copied and pasted somebody else's or heard a friend that had it or went on a, a group, a Facebook group, and they went, oh, the person said this is how they keep it, and they just regurgitate. They don't realize that. So it's another sign with folks that continue to do that of people that haven't quite dug deeply enough into the hobby yet to recognize why the majority of us loathe care sheets. Anything that I, I try to tell people, ignore anything that is labeled as a care sheet. Sadly, I'm sure there's probably some decent stuff out there and then some folks out there that are just trying, they realize that's what people are going to search. I want people to find this information, so I'm going to put care sheet on it. I get that, but there's also a lot of stuff out there written by people that even, I, I've seen ones that people haven't even kept a spider at all, which drives me nuts. So folks that are using the care sheets, folks that are doing the research after they buy the spiders and they keep doing that. And we're, again, we're talking about not somebody coming right in the hobby, but somebody that's you know been at it for a little while and keeps doing this. I would say that's a good indicator of an uninformed hobbyist. Now, along the same lines of this, there are the folks out there that find the hobby through YouTube, through YouTubers. They find a popular YouTuber. They're watching it for entertainment. They immediately assume that this individual, because they have millions of views or thousands of views, whatever it may be, knows what they're doing. They obviously love their animals. They obviously know what they're talking about. And again, I'm not singling anybody out. This isn't pointing fingers type of thing. We all know there are ones out there that aren't the best people to be teaching folks how to care for their animals. And unfortunately, they get these people into the hobby. They 
worship them almost like you'd worship an actor or something. They see them as they are their gurus. They obviously do everything right. They're the ones that introduce them to keeping spiders. They'd never thought about keeping spiders before. This person, their personality, their presentation of their channel made them realize what cool animals they are. So they pick up their animals and they start emulating these people. And then what ends up happening is they start having deaths and they don't understand why. They're like, I don't understand. I'm keeping it the exact way this person did. I'm doing the exact same things. What's going on? The folks that get in and they've been in for a little while and they're emulating all of their husbandry on one, well, start with YouTuber. There are, you know, I, I can't think of too many websites out there that you would get information off that people are finding. It usually ends up being more the YouTube thing because with a website, there's no personality. There's a bunch of words and a lot of people don't have the time to read or don't really care to read this stuff anymore. With the YouTubers, there's a personality that they start to worship, they follow them and they figure, I don't need to go anywhere else. I've heard people say to me, comments like, I feel bad because I feel like I'm quote unquote cheating on this person because they've given me all my information, but something's not right. And I, I'm looking for something else. So that's a huge indicator of somebody that hasn't delved too deeply in the hobby. I've had people that have come to me like, Hey, I don't understand. I was on arachnoboards and people were tearing apart YouTubers. I thought YouTubers were a great way to find information. And are there some good ones out there? Absolutely. There are some good, I'd like to think I do a pretty nice job out there. There are others out there that are good people. You know, we talked about Martin earlier. I would take husbandry advice from Martin in heartbeat. He goes out and sees him in the wild. He tries to emulate it in his own collection. There are some good folks out there that I would get my husbandry information from. But there are also a lot of folks out there that are trying to just create a channel and are trying to produce content that looks like it's educational, but they're really not at that level yet. Or they're just the stuff that they're presenting to people. They're new to the hobby. They're not even sure what's right or what's wrong. And I'm not saying there are folks out there that present their channels in a way that it's like, hey, look it, I'm getting into the hobby. This is what I'm learning. And I love those kind of channels. It's great to see people go through the same stuff I went through early on where you're figuring things out. But unfortunately, because of the nature of YouTube, you get a lot of folks out there this is the, you know, King Tarantula. I hope there's nobody out there named King Tarantula. I'm just making up a name. King Tarantula is amazing. I love him. I'm, I'm keeping all my animals like him. But for some reason, they're starting to die. And then you start to get into it. And this is where it becomes icky. You start to try to explain to the person that this is probably not the best person to emulate. And I've had these discussions where I've had to politely go, listen, I know they're entertaining. They got their animals. I'm sure they do love their animals. But overall, the hobby, the informed hobbyist out there would point you in a different direction as far as where to go for information and then they get offended and then they get kind of upset and they're like what do you mean I've been I've loved this person for I've been watching them for four years now they're the ones that got me into the hobby we've seen it we've seen it on message boards we've seen it on Facebook groups where these folks dig in and instead of just saying hey you know let me listen to a different perspective they dig in they latch on to this person and then they hold them up as their holy grail tarantula keeping and they're unable to see that you know what maybe there are other better ways to keep their animals I always struggle a bit when people email me that are in this type of situation where they, they, the good news is they've reached out and realized at this point that there might be other ways to keep. And I've had folks go, hey, I got to say, hey, I got into the hobby because of this one, but I'm noticing some issues with the way I'm keeping my animals. Could you help me out? And some of them are very open. These are the ones that are starting to realize. And this is what happens. Again, this is that transition from, you know, just getting into the hobby, being a newbie to an informed hobbyist. You recognize, hey, you know what? There might be more to this. Maybe I should do a little more research. And that's great. Those people, I, I love those people. They're 
are fun to work with. It's, it's neat to watch them kind of develop and, and figure things out. Unfortunately, they're the ones that will contact me, say, I don't get what's going on. And when I start explaining that something they did was wrong, they go, well, I'm sorry, but I saw it on King Baboon's channel and they have it right. And they, t- they love their animals. They know how to keep it. And then it becomes icky because how do you, I don't like sitting there bashing somebody and going out and saying, hey, well, you know what? King Baboon has no idea what they're doing. King Baboon loses a lot of spiders that you never hear about. They're on the show, and next thing you know it, they're dead, or they're having, quote-unquote, mysterious deaths. That's not something you want to emulate, and those are the people that kind of drive me nuts sometimes, because it's like, all right, you, you're smart enough to, to reach out and realize something might be wrong, but then when somebody tries to explain why it's wrong, you don't want to hear it. Uh, I can't help you here. So that's a definite sign of somebody that hasn't really turned that corner yet and become more informed. That's somebody that's still hanging on to the fact that this person got me into the hobby. This is the person that got me to this point. And I feel like I would be somehow doing them a dishonor if I were to listen to anybody else. Those are the folks that unfortunately are still in that uninformed hobbyist range, kind of the, the ones that do it for a while. And I have talked to ones that have been in the hobby for quite some time and they emulate one or two different people and they don't branch out. Even I've even explained before and I've tried to say this and maybe I haven't made as big a deal about it lately, but I always tell people, listen, here's what I've seen. Feel free to check other stuff. Go out on the boards, hear what people are doing. Look at other, you know, alternate viewpoints, go out there and check out other podcasters, go out and check out other videos, see what other people are doing, what's working for them and find something that works for you. I know what works for me. Is it the only way? No, there are obviously people that do it very different from me than have success. I try to, my idea is the material that I'm giving people, the information I'm giving people is the best way for somebody to transition into the hobby well and have healthy spiders without falling into the pitfalls of overdoing it in some areas but obviously go out there see what's out there get you know differing opinions get different information do your research look up some papers see what's going on in their natural habitat be informed don't just listen to one source and by god don't just listen to the first youtuber you stumbled across go out there look and see what other people are doing now, this next one I'm sure is going to aggravate a couple of people, but I can't help it. And it's it's a small one, but it's one that I have encountered with folks who've been in the hobby for a long time that just dig in and they think, like, they believe in what they're doing. They, they really believe in their stance. And I'm talking about folks that refuse to learn scientific names that continue to use, you know, they've been in the hobby for quite a while and they're still using the common names and then they get frustrated when they get confused by the common names. This is something, fortunately, most people, I think, and it's, I would say, honestly, we're kind of, in a way, forced to do it. Most people learn those scientific names, at least for the the, nor, the, the normal hobby species, you know, the Lasiodora species, the Brachypalmas, the Fontapalmas, the Cicaniopubis, you know, all the, the hobby staples. We learn those pretty quickly. And part of it is because when you go to shop for tarantulas, the majority of vendors out there put the scientific name. So if you go out and read about this red knee tarantula and hop on a website that sells tarantulas, you're going to have a hard time finding that spider because it's most likely going to be listed as Brachypalmas. Pelma hemorii. I think that's the red knee. I was confused. Here's where I screw up. I confuse the common names. But there are folks out there, and I've run into them that get like indignant and get like frustrated with me when I start using common names. And recently, what kind of brought this to you know mind, and the reason why I added it to the list is I had somebody contact me that introduced themselves, and we have a lot of folks that try to back up that they come in and they're like, Hey, I, I kind of know what I'm doing here, but I just want a different opinion. They'll be like, I've been in the hobby for five years. I've been in the hobby four years. Well, this person, I think had been in the hobby four years. They were trying to explain they've got a lot of, you know, they're keeping old worlds, this and that, which was great. And then they proceeded to refer to everything as by their common names. 
So, of course, I struggle a bit with common names. I sometimes have to Google them to know which spider I'm talking about. I've actually had situations where people have come to me asking me about the common name, and I've accidentally given them the information for the wrong spider because I got the, you know, the scientific name and common name mixed up. It's kind of chaotic. I just struggle with them. And I came back and I responded using scientific names and the person all but caused, called me a snob. <laughs> like, I, like I, you know, I think it's great that you know all those scientific names, but I don't deal with those. So could you please use the common names? And my first, you know, sometimes when you get these emails, you're first, you type them out first, what you'd really like to say, and then you kind of calmly delete it. I, I really wanted to kind of go off like, hey, buddy, I'm struggling to know what you're talking about here because you're whipping out these weird common names. And some of them were for species, species that haven't been described yet. So we're talking about like species gold, species whatever. They had some common name for it that I didn't even know what spiders they were talking about when I Googled them. There are folks out there that it's like a badge of honor to go, hey, they don't get the scientific thing. They don't understand the importance of the fact that when a spider has a scientific name, it means that it's been described. It means scientists, taxonomists, people that we want looking at these spiders. Not somebody that's going into the country, finding a new spider, you know, poaching it their lack of a better term, let's call it as it is, and bringing it into the hobby so that we can now have our latest species, whatever. We're talking about the folks we need to go in there and describe these so we can understand which ones might be, you know, look at avicularia. When we had the avicularia revision, we had a bunch of them that were changed to morphs to look at them so we know exactly what we have. We want this. And when that happens, that's a good thing. And when they have those names, that's a good thing. It also makes it easier to talk to people from different countries because our name, our common name, in the United States for certain species might differ from what they're selling them as over in the UK or in France or in the Philippines or in Germany. They all differ. And I've gone through the common name, scientific name thing before, and I've had people come in and go, well, the scientific names are confusing because they change. I get it. But again, when they change, it's a good thing. So there are folks out there that seem to think it's a, it's a matter of pride, like they're bucking the system by refusing to use the scientific names. But to me anyway, and I know to others that I've spoken to, that shows that you really aren't getting it yet. You haven't hit that point in the hobby where you recognize how all these components work together, how the hobby, you know, interacts with the scientific side of things and how honestly the scientific side of things is much more important than whatever we're calling them in the hobby. So that's one that stands out. And then to piggyback on that one, another one that drives me absolutely nuts. And that's a sign of somebody that just doesn't get it are when there are changes in names, when there are revisions, when somebody describes a new species. And we, you know, a lot of us joke, the whole joke is, yep, reach for the label maker. We got to change. And a lot of us sigh. And, and sometimes it happens with species that we love the original names. I mean, when we found out that the specimen that was originally described as B. smithy was actually B. hemorii, again, it just wasn't it wasn't a change in name so much as we were calling it the wrong thing. So many people got upset about that because the B. Smithy, quote unquote, B. Smithy was like a hobby staple. It was like the poster child for the hobby for many people and have that name change that bothered them. As far as I'm concerned, the one that, you know, kind of stung me only because I originally discovered this species because the name made me laugh. It was originally, I believe, Maraca Cabocla, and then it turned into Bumba Cabocla, which I just loved the way it sounded. It just rolled out. It just had the coolest name, and they're amazing spiders. So literally, I read the name and went, ooh, I like saying that. It's like Brennapes. I love saying Brennapes. And that made me get interested in the spider, and that one recently changed to Bumba Harita. So yes, when it happens to a spider that you've kept for a while, that you adore, that the name rolls off off your tongue that you're used to that and it changes it can bother you a bit but again it means it's a very positive thing because it means 
folks are out there studying them. That means they're they're actually examining them. The folks that we need to look at these guys are making those determinations that this is this species, this is this genus, whatever it may be. Things that we really want to happen. Like with uh, we've all we're always talking about Formictibus genus and what an absolute disaster it is. I would kill to find out that the majority of my Formictibus are all just Cancerides. I know most people would be shocked to hear that. I know there's a lot of folks out there who would probably be very upset to find out that they'd spent hundreds of dollars on slings that were just a different color. But to know one way or another, that would be huge to me. I, even if it ended up that five species or six of these quote-unquote species of Formictibus I had were all just variants or you know locales of Formictibus Cancerides, I'd be okay with that, but there are some folks that can't wrap their mind around it, and when they come out, I had somebody come the other day on, it was the video I did when they figured out that Smithy was actually Hemorii, and the guy was like, you would think there was some major conspiracy to screw over hobbyists. I don't understand why they're doing this. I refuse to call mine anything, but Smithy, all these people are just doing this because they want to make money and get famous. Yeah, because there's a lot of people being followed around by TMZ that make tax uh, and changes. I mean, that's obviously the other day I just went on. It's it's just a ridiculous notion that people are doing this because of a money grab. And that's what a lot of people think. They think that folks go out there and they change the names to get famous. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and folks, if anybody's listening to this, that's a tax of fame taxonomist and there are ones out there we could rattle off that we all know. Uh, they're famous in the hobby, I think, for most people. We know, love, and respect them. They're like gods to us in a way, but the majority of the world out there doesn't know it. So to take that idea that people are just changing the names to make a name for themselves is really kind of ridiculous. It's a good thing when that happens, and when folks dig in and refuse to change the names or fight over it or argue with people, this is stupid, I don't understand why they're doing it, it just points to the fact that you're uninformed and ignorant in that area as far as how important that is and what a great thing that is to the hobby. So that's one that definitely immediately screams, you know, in some cases it's newbie, but sadly I've spoken to many people over the years that have been in the hobby for a very long time that still hold on to that idea that scientific names are useless and that name changes are useless and don't understand the mechanics and the semantics around it. Now, moving on to our next indicator that somebody is an uninformed hobbyist or a weekend hobbyist. I hate that. Hopefully, it doesn't come across as too negative. I think it's kind of, it's a fun way to do it. And hopefully, I'm going to go out on a limb and say anybody listening to this podcast probably doesn't do this stuff. But maybe if you did, you, you start to take a step back and think of it a different way. But the one that this this one is pretty obvious. Folks get spiders. They see something with their spider. So maybe they have, I don't know, a, we'll go G. Porteri. I miss my queen, so we'll go G. Porteri. And they observe something with the G. Porteri that they suddenly think is going to apply to all spiders out there. And we've we've all interacted with people like this. We have folks that will come in and go, my G. Porteri is an absolute mad woman. She strikes at everything. She's nasty. G. Porteris are terrible, nasty spiders. And I get this a lot on comments of my videos. And I always try to say temperament may vary. Yes, there are what we call psycho rosies out there. There are very calm rosies that people can handle. The queen probably could have easily have been handled, but she just had a really good feeding response for a G. Porteri, G. Rosea. 
I've had people come to me recently. Somebody said they had a Kilobrachis fimbriatus, and they were explaining how they keep their fimbriatus on very shallow substrate, and it's a sweetheart. And they don't understand why everybody says they're burrowing species because theirs doesn't burrow. Well, yours is an oddball. That's great. You have their beautiful spiders. I barely ever see mine, and that's awesome that yours is not only visible, but remains visible and isn't on the defensive all the time. But the majority of us have a species that needs and loves to burrow, and if not given the opportunity, to burrow can become very defensive and ornery because they feel exposed. We get a lot of folks that will see something, and I believe we we talked about this in a, earlier. It might have been one of the first podcasts way back when folks see those you know signs of something in their collection and then assume that that means that every other one of those spiders out there in the world is the exact same way and doesn't want to listen to anything different. It can become difficult. Now I have I've and I'll give an example of how I try not to do this, I have, we'll go back to my beloved Formictopus, I have some of the most calm Formictopus species on the planet. I receive very few threat postures. I Most of mine act very much like a G. rosea. I open the top of their enclosures. They just sit there. Occasionally, if I do get a threat posture, it's because they're in standby mode and I drop in a prey at them. The prey at them bounces off a leg. They freak out. I get the threat posture, but as soon as the thing realizes it's not in any danger, it's up eating and it's perfectly fine. They do have amazing feeding responses, but I don't get that nasty behavior that many people talk about. However, I try to make it clear when I do videos on them that the most of, most of the folks out there report that theirs are very ornery. I get, look at my videos. Anytime I post a Formictivist video, the majority of folks are coming on there saying their spiders are very ornery. So it would be foolish for me to go, well, mine are all okay. So everybody's must be okay. That's misinformation. That's something that like, no, I can report that mine are good. Apparently I got something going here where they seem to like me and they're calm around me. Who knows what it is, but that's not always the case. So a lot of folks, unfortunately will see something in their collection. Sometimes it goes crazy too. Sometimes they will do something. I've had folks, you know, they have a spider that appears to come running to them when they go to feed it. And then they start saying, all right, it's responding to its name. And again, interesting information, interesting thing to test, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all spiders will come running to their name, stuff like that. It's tough. And I think sometimes it's folks that are just new into the hobby and haven't done, they don't have the experience from talking to other keepers and reading a lot to recognize some of these things they're seeing, maybe, you know, not the norm. Sometimes it's bullheadedness though. And I have spoken to people that have been in the hobby for quite some time. They get these bizarre ideas or that argue with me over stuff because they didn't see it with their one specimen. And they totally discount the fact that I'm not just talking about my specimen. I talk to many, many, many keepers. I have over the years. I love hearing the different experiences. I love when somebody comes on with something different from what I've observed, because that reminds me that I I can't just look at my little microcosm of tarantula keeping over here and decide that that basically represents everything out there. I love hearing that kind of stuff. But there are some people out there that are in the hobby for a while. Whatever they see in their collection with their few, you know, their very small sample of spiders becomes the what they believe is the rule for everything. And that can be, A, it can be dangerous thinking. B, it shows somebody that's not getting out and talking to others. It's not hearing other experiences. That's not open-minded enough to go, all right, I may see this with my, my fimbriatus may not burrow, but I'm talking to all these other people that have fimbriatus that burrow. I'm talking to people that have seen them in the wild and will explain that they burrow. 
that's a tough one for me. And that's one that most folks, again, grow out of. They start talking to other people and they change it, but there are those ones out there that hold on to it. And again, it's a sign of somebody that's just not willing to be informed. It's not willing to take the time to either learn or to be open-minded enough to take information that goes against what they've seen and kind of assimilate it and realize that, hey, maybe I'm seeing something different than everybody else. So that's a big one, I think, in terms of recognizing folks that they've got some time in the hobby, but they're just not digging into it the way many of us are. Now, the next one can be particularly tricky for me to navigate because I get these a lot where I have folks who go, hey, I don't understand why my avicularia avicularia is not doing well. I've had this spider for three years. It's been doing great. And suddenly it's just not, it doesn't seem right. It's not webbing. It's not. Anyway, I always followed up with, hey, I'd love the help. Can you send me some pictures of your setup? And then I get the picture of the setup and realize what the issue is. They have an avicularia and a tiny little short enclosure with no place to hide, with nothing to web to, with no foliage for cover. Do There's a myriad of situations that could be wrong with the enclosures. This happens quite a bit, and it's not always folks that are brand new to the hobby. It's a lot of times, and this falls in line with the the folks that, hey, it worked for me for this long. You know, I've seen this in my collection. It's worked for me. Therefore, it must be the right way. You get folks that, despite what they read, decide they're going to do something totally different because they know better than the general consensus of folks that have kept these guys for much longer than they have, and they set them up the wrong way. So whether it be a fossorial species, I get this one a lot. It's a fossorial species. Somebody will go, yeah, I know you're supposed to give them room to dig, but I want to see mine, and mine's been fine. And you get this picture of the shallow container with the poor spider bent over backwards in a threat pose because it's completely exposed. You, I've seen arboreals and terrestrial cages. I've seen the one that drives me the most nuts sometimes is when you see a tiny little sling and a giant 12 by 12 by 18 exoterra. It's all the way up in the corner. And they're asking me why their spider doesn't seem to be coming out and eating and hunting. And it's like, well... Because your spider is overwhelmed with the amount of space in the enclosure and can't find the prey items. This is a big one. And sadly... Sometimes it's just folks that got misinformation early on. Sometimes it's folks that they've kept them this way for a long time. Spiders, and that's the one thing that can never be understated. Tarantulas are very, very hardy creatures for the most part. They, you can sadly they can ad- adapt to many different situations. You know, again, we talk about the ones that come from very humid areas that do well with lower humidity with just a water dish. We talk about ones that come from very hot areas but do just as well in cl- collections where the temperatures in the high sixties, uh, low seventies. They're very adaptable, but what that means sometimes is a tarantula can be in very bad, a very bad situation, could have a terrible setup, but it's still going to seemingly thrive, and that's what makes it sometimes tricky in our hobby because we're never quite sure what is, you know, an optimal setup for the spider or what is something the spider is just tolerating and being able to live through. But what happens is people will set these things up. I see ones where people set up these giant ornate enclosures with all of these. And I've seen these a lot with terrestrials where they set them up in an exoterra, one of the taller ones with a terrestrial species, but they put all these like little, like I saw one of them was all set up like SpongeBob and had the pineapple in it. And it had all these spiky fake coral things that if the spider were to climb and fall on them, it's going to rupture its abdomen. In their mind, it looks cool. Their friends all like it. The spider seems to be doing fine. And they don't want to hear it. if you try to tell them, hey, by the way, if that spider, if that Brachypelma hammerai, we're, we're stuck on hammerai today, hammerai, if that Brachypelma hammerai climbs up and falls and it's abdomen strikes that spiky looking seaweed thing you've got in there it's going to rupture and die they don't want to hear it they're like well it's been in this enclosure for three years now i've never had a problem with that i don't think it's going to happen it never climbs 
drives me nuts. And it's one of those signs that people haven't done their research or haven't done the correct research, or at least haven't been out and about and seen what other people's setups look like, have seen other people deal with situations where the spiders are set up improperly and folks have come on. I can get not wanting to post pictures of your enclosures online because a lot of times people get torn apart. But one of the things you'll realize, and this is when I first got into the hobby, I did a lot of lurking and seeing what questions other people ask, seeing what other people, you know, somebody posts something up. And I remember once somebody, I think it was on Arachnoboards, and this was just when I was doing my research, somebody posted up this ridiculously cool setup they did it was like a horror themed one with all this stuff and it was like a wrought iron gate like in the front it was just I, I can't remember I wish I had the picture of it because it was just an awesome setup and I'm like oh man this is great and then I read all the comments now granted arachnoboards can be very opinionated the comments weren't particularly kind but it was people basically ripping this enclosure apart because of how inappropriate it was for the species that was in it for any species really I mean I, my first thought was that's how I want to set up my enclosures and that like I'm thinking this is going to be I remember turning to Billy like we could do some cool stuff and then I read the comments and, and again I got beyond the nastiness of them and just looked at what people were saying and it was like wow they bring up some valid points I didn't think of that you know this fake wrought iron fence they got up here looks darn cool but if that spider would have fallen on it that's a dead spider hey that you know haunted house they got in the background with the peak you know the, the top of the roof coming to a nice peak with a little cross on it awesome spider falls on that it's dead I was able to take that information. So you don't always have to go online and post your stuff up there. But I do think a lot of us do lurk. We look at what other people post. We we sit back. We watch, you know, we break out the popcorn. We watch the pitchforks and the fire and the torches come out. And, you know, kind of giggle at how mean everybody is. But we do get information from that. And I think folks that are still, you know, been in the hobby for several years that are still setting up these enclosures like that, they're somehow either not, going out there and finding this information or getting this information, they're not interacting or they're ignoring it, which is even worse. It means they've been on the boards. They've seen people post stuff like this and they've gone, eh, it's not going to happen to me. You know, in a lesser degree, it's like we talk about the wire mesh tops to the enclosures and I've had, there are people out there and uh, that use these. There's YouTubers out there that use them. They never replace the tops and they tell people, listen, I've never had any problems with them and that's great and I'm not discounting that. I'm sure they probably haven't had any problems with them. However, there are many of us out there that have seen our spiders get their toe claws caught in. I've even seen the boreal get their toe claw caught in. So we recognize the danger where other people are like, hey, I haven't seen it. You know, it hasn't happened to me yet, so I'm not worried about it. My spider's been okay like this, so I'm not worried about it. My fossorial species is kept as a terrestrial, but so far it hasn't been defensive, so I'm not worried about it. It still doesn't make it right. So that's a big one as far as pointing to people that just refuse to listen to others. Some of them will post stuff online, and this is, I think, the most frustrating training parts the keepers when they post online hey look at my setup and this you see this every once in a while on facebook groups and then people come in and they'll they, you know all of a sudden it's a swarm that's not correct you need to get that either that's dangerous and some of them will go oh my lord i didn't even know i never even thought of that thank you and then there are others that dig in and they go well i've kept it like this for two years now and she's doing great and i have another one that's kept like this and they don't listen that's another sign of somebody that's just not they haven't scratched the surface yet they probably will never scratch the surface they're not really digging into the hobby, taking it seriously in a way where they recognize that it's not about whether or not your enclosure looks cool to you, whether or not your enclosure looks cool to your friends. It's whether or not the enclosure is appropriate for that animal, whether or not the fixings and the decorations in that enclosure are going to be just aesthetically pleasing and make it look really cool for you and your friends, 
or are they going to be a hazard to the pet? In which case, they should be pulled out. I get wanting to have really cool ones, and I've seen some really awesome enclosures out there. They're also safe enclosures. That's a big one as far as folks not heeding those warnings that they're not really informed hobbyists because if they were, they would immediately recognize this can be an issue and you're jeopardizing the life of your spider as a result. And finally, with the winter months upon us, we just, Billy and I were out shoveling. We got almost two feet of snow here. The weather's been cold. We have days where it's zero degrees with a windshield below zero. Let's talk a bit about folks ordering tarantulas online and the folks that freak out when they can't get the tarantula sent directly to their home or when they can't get the tarantula sent because it's too cold. This is one that stands out and drives me nuts because I will get basically emails from people saying, hey, you recommended this dealer highly and I just went to order from them and they refused to ship my spider because they said that they can't ship it because it's zero degrees out or they refused to ship it to my house. I have to go pick it up at a FedEx station that's you know, a FedEx ship center that's 20 minutes away and I don't feel like doing this. It should come directly to my house. And then I have to get in this whole explanation of, and that's why I recommend these people, because they're putting the safety of the spider first. Sadly, some folks that are just getting into the hobby don't get this. They don't get the fact that you're ordering tarantulas online. There are animals that don't do well in cold weather. Cold can kill them, or warm weather. You can go either way. Super hot, super cold. It can be damaging. It can be deadly to the tarantulas. They don't understand that. They're used to, and we've talked about this before, they're used to being able to hop on Amazon, use their Prime membership, and get something in a day or two. When they order spiders and realize that, hey, maybe the spider can't come to my house because it's going to be too hot that day and they don't want the spider stuck on the truck all day long in the blistering heat or Conversely, it's super cold like it is right now, and they don't want the spider being on in the back of the truck and in a situation where it is cold all day long. They don't seem to recognize that this is because they're worried about the welfare of the animals. Shipping them can be stressful. They go even with heat packs or cold packs in the summer. There are still situations where there are fluctuations in temperature. It can get really hot, get really cold. It can be The spider can be put in a situation where it's uncomfortable, and if it gets too hot and too cold, it can be put in a situation where it ends up dead. This is them trying to protect the animal. Unfortunately, there are a lot of folks out there that seemingly have been buying for quite some time that don't understand that. It's one thing when you hear something like this and somebody contacts me and you can tell they're just getting into the hobby, it's relatively easy for me to explain why. I sometimes copy, I did obviously a podcast about shipping tarantulas and we talked about this. I've talked about shipping tarantulas in the winter and I think sometimes people hear that and they go, oh, I get it now. They recognize that it's not somebody trying to screw them out of money or make them wait for their animals. It's somebody trying to protect the welfare of the animals. And that's something that's easily remedied. I've, I speak to a lot of folks that we go through those discussions and they walk away and go, you know what? I didn't think of it that way. Thanks so much. I just need to be a little more patient. And then there are the other folks that have big collections. They've been doing this for a while. And then they tell you things like, Hey, I ordered from backwater reptiles when it was 75 below zero here and they sent it out. Yeah, no kidding, because they don't give a crap about your animals. This is something that folks that are informed that are have been ordering for a while online usually get and appreciate. I often have things held. I have an order from Tom Patterson that, well, first I had it held because I couldn't find fruit flies, so let's call that out there. But then I went to have it shipped, and it got really, really cold here. And I didn't want to take the chance of having, even though he's in New York, I'm in Connecticut, it's usually a, you know, just a hop, skip, and a jumping away. It's still FedEx the way the animals go. They're going to be exposed to these cold temperatures and I don't want that so I've had it held and hopefully this week we have a batch of weather coming up where it's going to be 40s and 50s which is perfect tarantula shipping weather for winter time and I will have them ship them because I worry about even if we have you know a warm day 
A lot of times with FedEx lately, things have been getting delayed. Packages have been getting delayed. If your package gets delayed and you have a couple days of 50-degree weather, there's a very good chance your guys are going to arrive. They're going to be a little chilly, but they'll be safe and sound, even if the heat pack fails. However, if you have temperatures where it's down to zero degrees or in the single digits or even the teens and your tarantula gets lost for a few days, you are obviously increasing the chances that you basically open up a box of dead spiders, which is a terrible thing. So I do think many of us figure this out. I, uh, the one thing you need to have for this hobby, the, the, the biggest trait that you need to have, the most important trait is patience, recognizing that we are dealing with live animals and you need to be patient. Yes, I know you want your new fancy spider to play with and show off and set up and to show off your friends or whatever, but sometimes that's not in the cards. Sometimes the weather dictates that you're going to have to wait a little bit for it and we should be prepared for that. So people that go out there and complain because they tried to have something shipped, they refused to ship it in the cold temperatures or wouldn't ship it to their house, aren't getting it. They either, and sadly, some of them you can tell don't care about the animals. They're like, well, I'll take the chance. Well, no, unfortunately, you may want to take the chance, but the people who are selling these spiders do not want to take the chance of ending up with a dead spider. And I've had folks say, well, that's because they don't want to lose money. Okay, you're right. They don't want to lose money in shipping a spider and having it die. Most of them like the animals. That's why they spend all their time, you know, raising them and selling them, and they don't want them to die needlessly. It's, it's, it's a pet trade. So the idea is to keep those pets safe. So, Folks that can't wrap their mind around this are, it's a huge sign that you're really, I mean, honestly, folks like this, I wish would just kind of find their way out of the hobby. My thought is if, if people explain to you why this is, why sometimes it can't be delivered to your house, why sometimes they have to hold it because the weather is bad. If you can't wrap your mind around, they're putting the welfare of the spider first, please find another hobby. Find something that involves, you know, inanimate objects to collect because you shouldn't be caring for live animals in that way. So that's a big one. And that one I had the close with because it is winter time and there are folks I did receive an email from somebody not that long ago with a similar situation where they tried to order and they were upset because they were going to have to drive to pick it up I don't understand why can't it come to my house and we went through it and the person just wasn't able to wrap their mind around what I was saying in their mind I bought this animal. I don't care what the temperatures are. I want the animal shipped to me. And this, from the sound of things, was a person who had quite a collection, who had been buying for quite some time. So we shouldn't have been having that discussion. So that's another big indicator of somebody that, A, isn't very informed, or I don't know if it's, it's part not informed. And then if they're informed and they still do it, you're just kind of a crummy human being and shouldn't be keeping pets because you're obviously not responsible enough to care for them correctly. So that about does it for that list. I'm sure I will think of other things afterwards, but these are the ones that really jumped to my attention. And again, with the informed hobbyist part, we're talking about the folks that have been in the hobby for a little while that still do these things. You could honestly, you know, some of them would fall under hobby jerks. We could do something like that, but I thought that would be a little too nasty. You know, there are definitely, every hobby has its jerks. Every hobby has its bullheaded people. Every hobby has its folks that think they know everything that they get into the hobby. They see something in their own collection and suddenly they're scientists and telling people everything that, you know, we've already known for hobbyists for years. It's, it comes with the territory. But I do think we do have a contingency of folks that fall under this category of just, you know, willful ignorance, if, if for lack of a better term, they just don't want to learn. They either don't do the research, they either don't get on board and get out in the forums and talk to other people to keep them. They either don't check their information from multiple sources. They just, they've scratched the surface of the hobby. They treat it very superficially. It's like, here's my care sheet. Here's my spider. Let's go. And that's all there is to it. And sadly, those are the ones that, you know, tend to, 
tend to get pounced on in the, the groups and, and forums when they post stuff. And sometimes, you know, they deserve it a little bit. Other times, you know, I think the difference between somebody like this and somebody that just doesn't know any better is the person that doesn't know any better is going to respond and make those changes. The person that doesn't know any better is going to go, hey, you know what? I see your way of looking at it now. I see that I was wrong or I had a misconception about this. The ones that we're talking about here are the ones that don't change. They never change. Unfortunately, they're dug in. They, you know, If somebody tries to correct them, they dig in like ticks. They hold on to what they think is true. And unfortunately, their animals suffer for it. So again, luckily, the majority of folks I interact with do not fall under this category. Most are pretty good. But having done this for quite some time and talked to a lot of different people, there are the ones that you know come in, they contact you. We sometimes refer to them as trolls. And sadly, it's not I, I always think trolling of being something that is, how do we put it, they're, they mean to troll you. They're doing it to, to get a rise out of you. They're doing it to get under your skin. I think there's a difference between somebody that's trolling and doing something to get under your skin and somebody that's just getting under your skin because they're so darn ignorant and have no idea what they're talking about. That's a different thing. And those are the ones I try to reach because every once in a while you can crack that nut. You can get them to kind of change your perspective and, and change things. And that's why I quote unquote engage. People go, don't engage them. You'd be amazed at how many people I do get, I do reach. I do get to kind of, you know, go out and reevaluate what they're doing. But the ones that don't, unfortunately, I, I feel badly for their spiders. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube where I'm taking a slight break and trying to get things together. I do have my new theme music ready to go. I have edited out the new intro. I'm very excited about it, but there's some other things I want to do that are going to take some time that I got to get ready before we kind of relaunch. And I don't want to see relaunch a channel. It's just, there's some things I want to change. And it's like, we've got the new theme. If we've got the new intro, then let's change some things I've thought about changing for a little while. So we'll be getting back soon. Hopefully, by probably February, mid-February or so, we'll see how it goes. But again, it just got to the point where I felt like I was like forcing myself to do videos and try to cram them in, and it was getting too stressful with all that's been going on. So I figure I'll take the time to just relax, get some things done, so I've made some improvements I haven't had time to do, and then we'll be back up and run again. So that'll do it for this one. As always, guys, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.